Making Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I welcome Donna Hicks to the show. Donna, welcome. Thank you. Donna, I'm really excited. We're going to dive into a great conversation about how treating people with dignity creates engaging work cultures. Donna, you've, you've written this extraordinary new book, and we're going to dive in and really unpack that. But I'd love to know, how did you first get inspired to write about leading with dignity? I started out, and I'm still actually an international conflict resolution specialist, and it became really clear to me very quickly in my in my uh, work with warring parties when we would try to bring them together for dialogue that there was always two conversations taking place at the negotiating table. One was about all the political issues that divided them. But there was another conversation that was happening, I'd like to, I'd like to think, under the table, where um, this conversation, though, had no words, but it was a highly emotional undercurrent that was going through all of the discussions. And I could just see these parties, these people, these negotiators, just they would become so upset. And yet there was no place for them to talk about that. So long story short here, Caroline, what I finally realized was that a lot of this emotional turmoil that was in the room during these negotiations really had more to do with their dignity being violated than it did trying to resolve those political issues. And it was so powerful when I I finally figured out how to work with the dignity conversation, that unspoken dignity conversation. And, you know, I at one point asked one of these parties to conflict. I said, look, would you be willing to talk about a time when your dignity was violated? And you would not believe how that opened doors, Caroline. Everybody sitting at the table wanted to talk about these under, you know, undercurrents of dignity that were really sweeping the you know, sweeping over all of the discussions. And so that's how I figured it out. And then realized, I then realized that if people in leadership positions did not understand how fragile we are when it comes to our dignity, how vulnerable we all are to having our dignity violated, um, then, you know, you're going to find cultures that either implicitly or explicitly, explicitly accept the fact that these dignity violations are happening and nobody's really doing anything about it. And it creates this dysfunctional cu- culture within organizations. So I felt compelled, you know, to write a book about leadership to really map out what does it look like to lead people with dignity? What do you have to know? What do you have to do? So that's how this all started. Thank you for laying that groundwork. That context is so, so fascinating. You know, when I was reading the book, uh, what really struck me was how you write about the underlying assaults to dignity were the things that were preventing parties from an agreement. And often this was nonverbal. Tell us more about that. Well, yeah. I mean, as I you know mentioned earlier there, Caroline, that <clears throat> the topics of conversation that we would put on the table, you know, on the top of the table for discussion to try to work out were always the political issues. But the strong reactions that people felt 
toward those political issues, and especially the ones that were really difficult to resolve, those strong emotional reactions would, you know, make people who are really smart and very, you know, capable of coming up to it, up with agreements, even though they had all of this intellectual prowess, when those emotional issues, then when these dignity assaults took over the conversation, forget it. I mean, no, we would go nowhere and the entire process would be hijacked because people would be responding from these dignity violations. So it's, um, you know, and I, and I realized soon that it wasn't just about international conflict disputes. This stuff purve- prevails in all of the conflicts that we have, whether it's at the workplace or in our families or in our schools, wherever people congregate, these unaddressed dignity assaults can wreak havoc on relationships and prevent people from getting along and really living a, a you know, a fulfilled life, not only in the workplace, but certainly um, in general. And you, you talk about how the core issue of dignity is really about humanness. And, and that really is such an interesting way to look at it. And it seems like such common sense, but let's drill down to tactics. I know you do uh, a Dignity 101 seminar with, with teams. Help us break that down. What are some elements of dignity and how we can honor the dignity of others? Yes, that, that, I'm glad you asked this question because, uh, because even though it is a very deep, and core issue uh, that every human being, all of us wants to be treated well, all of us wants a to be treated as if we mattered, and especially in our work environment where we're giving, you know, giving our best. But, um, and, and even though this seems, you said, I, I love this, you said this seems like, you know, common sense. Well, it is common sense once you figure it out, but it is not common knowledge until people are, have, you know, I've introduced this. So for example, so some of the elements of dignity, I, I interviewed people all over the world and asked them how they would want to be treated if they felt they were being treated with dignity. And everybody wanted their identity accepted, mm-hmm. no matter their race, their religion, their ethnicity, their sexual orientation. We all want to be treated equal, as equal in dignity, uh, no matter who we are. People want acknowledgement. For the, for the suffering that they've endured. So if something bad happens to people, they want somebody to say, you know what, that was wrong. What happened to you was wrong. And that shouldn't have happened. So we just crave that kind of acknowledgement. Uh, we also want to be recognized for our unique contributions. You know, if we do a good job in the workplace, we want, we want a, our bosses or our, even our co-workers to say, hey, that was really a, a good contribution. So recognition is critical. Fairness, um, not surprising. People want to be treated fairly. People want to be understood. They want to be given the benefit of the doubt. Um, and m- m- most importantly, people want to feel a sense of safety. And I'm not just talking about physical safety, although that's certainly important, but I'm talking about people want to feel safe to speak up when something bad happens to them at work or in their lives. They just want to be, to be able to say, hey, look, you know, what you just said to me in that staff meeting was really, you know, uh, humiliating. So people want to feel safe to speak up. And, you know, Caroline, when I do interviews in the corporate world around this issue of safety, I ask, I ask them, so actually around all of the elements, not just safety. I say, so tell me all of these, all of these elements that I've introduced to you, 
what feels like the most violated one in your um, experience at work? And do you know that 80% of the respondents say that safety is the biggest violation they experience? And again, it's that not feeling safe to speak up when something bad happens. So, you know, just knowing these things, just having these elements in our in our head and recognizing that when something feels bad in an interaction, we say we can say, oh wow, yeah, now I know why I feel bad. I was just treated unfairly, or someone just discriminated against me because of my identity, because of my race, my religion, or whatever. So it helps people name what they experienced. And probably more importantly, Caroline, what it does is it gives, it creates a distance. When you name something, some, some of the researcher, uh, a researcher that I um, you know, looked at uh, around this sense of creating this kind of distance, when you name whatever it was that happened to you, it, it takes the, the assault out of you and puts it, you know, makes it, externalizes it. And it helps people heal from these dignity violations. You know, Donna, your your book's subtitle is How to Create a Culture That Brings Out the Best in People. And while I certainly believe that helping leaders uh, lead with dignity uh, is essential, and, and certainly there's accountability at the top in leadership, if everybody's on board with treating others with dignity, then there is this pervasive culture, and, and we hope uh, a sea change, especially when there is a negative work environment. But help us understand when the workplace culture has a dignity problem, right? We've got people listening all over the world and they might have their ears perked up saying, well, I I don't feel safe or, wow, I don't feel recognized. But what are some other signs that your culture has a dignity problem? Well, there are two two big factors. um, And this is basically what I get hired to address. The first sign is where you have a lot of conflict going on in in the work environment. Um, So for example, when I first introduced this to the corporate world, uh, I was hired to address a conflict between management and and its employees. And they had long-standing conflicts that they they tried every single conflict resolution method, but nothing worked. And when I introduced this dignity approach to them and said to them, look, you've got conflicts because people are experiencing assaults to their dignity and there's nowhere to go to talk about it. There's no process. There's no method that you use to address these dignity violations. So that's one. Just the, you know, when conflict you feel and you experience conflicts in the in the work environment. The second one, you'll be surprised to, to, to learn, is gossip. So when you have a very active gossip network in your organization, it usually means that people don't feel safe to speak up when something bad happens. You know, it, it's so interesting that you say that. And, and again, that is uh, perhaps common sense, but not common knowledge, as you said earlier. How do we, how do we um, disengage the gossip? Because it seems to be everywhere. Oh, it is. And, and look, you know, when gossip, gossip used to be a very useful um, 
thing to do with people because in the in the Pleistocene era, when this desire for gossip actually started, what happened was it was used to alert each other about who who the dangerous people were in the environment. And you know, we still do that actually to some extent. But what I'm suggesting is that the gossip network really gets hyped up when people are not don't feel safe to speak up and you don't have feedback mechanisms in place in the work environment so for example with when i work with leaders i say to them look you have got to invite people to give you feedback um, because otherwise this gossip is going to take over and let's say something one of a manager or a supervisor does something that's hurtful the whole work crew, everybody knows about it, um, except for the, the manager who did the violating, because the, the, the victim of the violation, it doesn't feel like she can speak up and, and say to her boss or her manager, look, you, you know, what you just did was very hurtful. So there is a strong link between creating a culture where people feel that they are invited actually and and where the leaders are modeling this kind of feedback and asking for feedback and then you don't get the gossip if the if the people if the employees feel like it's really acceptable that my boss really does want to learn about you know what happened and you know what he or she might have done to insult me or violate my dignity that creates a completely different culture it's a functional culture where dignity is not only preserved, but when people do feel like they've had a problem with dignity, they have somewhere to go. They can go to their boss and directly address it. Donna Hicks, I'm enjoying our conversation about leading with dignity. We'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. So Donna, you talk so beautifully, you write so beautifully in the book, and you actually share a step-by-step approach to leading others in a way that honors their dignity. And again, I I love that word, honors. Give us a glimpse. We certainly don't want to have a a true spoiler alert. The book is phenomenal, and I want to encourage everyone to make it part of their uh, resource. But what's one action step that a leader can take to better honor the dignity of those on their team? So, you know, in addition to these 10 elements that I, um, I just talked about, there are a couple of very essential behaviors that a leader needs to, to engage in in order to make his employees or her employees feel like they're being honored, uh, their dignity is being honored. And that has to do with being vulnerable, Caroline. Caroline. And what I mean by that is, you know, let's say someone in a leadership position has made a mistake and um and is you know worried about uh, you know worried about what the what it would look like if he actually admitted making the mistake and and in, in a dignity honoring environment 
this leader would make herself vulnerable by taking responsibility, being making herself accountable for how she treats people. So let's say even if even if a leader is really uh, has dignity consciousness but messes up every once in a while like all of us would do, right? We're all you know, we're all vulnerable. But if she says to her people, you know what? I really messed up. I just I just created a policy here and that I realized is hurtful to some people. And I'm I'm sorry. I want to take some responsibility for the mistake that I made. So that that kind of vulnerability, I cannot underscore how important that is because here's the thing, you know as well as I do, that people in leadership positions are being watched all the time. You know, we're, we're constantly scrutinizing. And, and if we see um, someone who is in this kind of position of authority actually take responsibility and say, yep, I messed up and I'm really sorry, well, what that does is that reconnects, that re-engages people's empathy with that person. We think to ourselves, boy, that took guts, you know, that was brave of her to admit to making that mistake. And so not only will we look at that person with admiration, it'll also be a way that we can say, gee, if she can do this, maybe I can do it. You know, it's a way of modeling the kind of behaviors that we want to see um, uh, in our in our work environments or in any environment for that matter, but making oneself vulnerable and taking responsibility for actions that might be hurtful, might be violating of one's dignity, of the dignity of their people. That's what good leaders do. I couldn't agree more. It's just so, uh, I'm thrilled that you said that. Uh, I'm smiling ear to ear because it's been lovely to see how the modern day leader uh, has embraced vulnerability and humility, and it's okay to say, I made a mistake. And as followers or teammates, we we want to see that human quality in our leaders. And it has completely shifted from the command and control uh, type of leadership that was perhaps prominent uh, decades ago. So thank you for that. Really good to hear. So Donna, as we wrap things up, I bet leaders are just making unknowing mistakes and they're violating their employees' dignity and they, they just don't realize it. So let's close in sharing some things that they can be more aware of and get in front of as they're trying to really honor people and lead with dignity and create these wonderful, engaging cultures. Yes, that's that's a lovely way to end because what I have found in all of my interviews, all the research that I've done talking to people in leadership positions, I can tell you the vast majority, and I mean vast majority, are really good, decent people with good intentions for leadership, but who just don't have that dignity consciousness. They've never been exposed to it. I mean, there's nowhere you can go to learn this. This is what compelled me to write this book. I needed, to, I wanted to give people, good people, with good intentions, something to work with um, and something to, you know, contribute to what I call their dignity consciousness. And what we really need to be conscious about is the effect that we have on others. You know, we go about our day just, you know, doing our work and we have our heads down and we're trying to accomplish everything. But, you know, every once in a while we need to lift up our head and take a look around and say, you know, how am I treating people? How, how are people experiencing me? Am I making them feel good? Am I honoring their dignity? Or am I inadvertently even 
even without knowing it, am I, you know, stepping on toes here or am I saying things that might be hurtful? So having that, even asking that simple question, what effect do I have on the people who are around me and the people whom I lead? So that simple question can really trigger, you know, uh, us to think about how we're treating each other and how we're, especially those of us in leadership positions, what are we doing? How are we making people feel? Donna Hicks, what a joy to have you on the show. I love this term, dignity consciousness. Your book is extraordinary. It's called Leading with Dignity, how to create a culture that brings out the best in people. And I would strongly encourage our global audience to check it out. Of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. Donna, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. It was my pleasure. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave us a review. And let me tell you why reviews matter. They help people find us online. And I'd be really interested to know what career-minded issues you would like for us to discuss on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special shout out to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for the extraordinary work that you do to make this show incredible for our audience. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening.